Daniels podcast on a Tuesday. And by the way, just for future reference, and this may change very soon, but I think schedule-wise with the new radio show, Tuesdays for myself and Mr. Davis are going to become the new recording day. So uh, it is Tuesday. So when you hear Tuesday, think Mr. Davis. Tuesday, Mr. Davis. No longer Wednesday, Mr. Davis. Tuesday, Mr. Davis. Mr. Davis, what's happening, man? Not much. Uh, well, I like to call it Tuesday Davis. Tuesday Davis. Tuesday Davis. You know what? That, Which, uh, that actually has a nice ring to it. I'm going to start, I'm, from now on, I'm going to start all of these with, it is Tuesday Davis. Yeah, sometimes one's not enough, but Tuesday Davis, that's perfect. It's just what you need is some Tuesday Davis. Tuesday Davis. I'm, Tuesdayvis. I'm, uh, I'm yeah. doing good. It's a, a little bit of a sad day because I've just, we as a world have been spoiled with three straight days of top quality football. Well, Saturday kind of sucked, let's be honest. But S- Sunday and Monday, the NFL for week one were pretty good. College football is a little disappointing, but still, we have football three days in a row. And now, I don't know, what am I supposed to do today? Like, watch baseball? <laughs> there's not there's not a lot of great drama in baseball right now, being honest. So I, I, I feel you. I, we are both big baseball fans. But, yeah, I just I don't feel like there's there's great it's, drama at the moment. It's too, it's too close to the playoffs to the point where, like, I know – like, I'm, I'm – the Astros are going to make the playoffs. I've forgiven them. I we're on better terms now, so yeah. I know that in like two weeks, I'm going to be watching the Astros every night. Right. So I'm just I'm holding off for then. Yeah. And like, and this is how I've always been with baseball. I don't know about you, but like, once football season hits, my entire life, like I I just can't I can't watch baseball every night. Keep up with football and do all the stuff of the regular life. So baseball, like, I don't think I've ever watched a September game of, of Major League Baseball unless it was like the last day of the season. I think it depends whether or not my team is in contention for a division crown or a wild card race because, for the most part, I think the teams that you don't cheer for, you kind of know who's a contender and who's not. And for the most part, I think those teams generally have secured their spot. So if you don't have individual rooting interest, I think for a lot of people, yeah, I think that's true. Which is kind of a bummer because there's some pretty good like races going on still yeah, there across are. Major League Baseball. But I just... Too much, man. I mean, the Astros have a six and a half game lead. So, like, personal interest, like, they're they'd have to have a complete and utter like historical collapse not to make the playoffs at this point. So, yeah, I just trust them to do their thing, and I'll be watching them uh, in October. There you go. It is football season, though. You mentioned Saturday. Um, the morning slate of games was really good, and then from that point on, it was just kind of eh. The rest of the day, um, yeah. like, obviously, Arkansas blows Texas away. Oklahoma's game we knew wasn't going to be close. And Oklahoma did exactly what they should have done. But, the you know, the Ohio State-Oregon game on at the same time as Oklahoma State-Tulsa, which went down to the wire. I mean, those were, watching those two games simultaneously was was a chore. Notre, uh, Notre Dame barely beating Toledo by three, which yeah. not a great look. On the yeah, Peacock Network, a- by the way, I had to find a stream of that game to be able to watch, like, the final five minutes. Texas A&M uh, nearly gets upset. Uh, they, they pull Colby. out a win, like, in the fourth quarter. They, look... What is more, uh, like, fi- fitting, I guess, than Texas A&M beating Colorado 10-7, to what, like, three days after A&M decides to give Jimbo Fisher another, uh, give him a raise and pay him, what, $9 million a year now yeah. based on what? Like, based on what? What is, like, what, I've been trying to, I've been racking my brain about this for a week. What in the world, what has Jimbo done in A&M that would warrant a raise at this point, like, three years into his, like, 10-year deal? Maybe they knew the USC situation was about to happen and they didn't want Jimbo to entertain a USC offer. 
Do you think Jimbo would? Uh, I don't no, know. I don't, I don't know think if he would, a better but... job than A and M right now. It's not right. I mean, I think it is, but prestige wise, I don't know. A and M, A and M blows a lot of smoke up their own ass, but they're still like they're dedicated to winning, they... and there's a lot of resources that you have at your disposal. That's true. It's a program with a lot of tradition too. Not necessarily tradition of winning, but like, yeah. I mean, you've been to College Station. It's a yeah. Like they live in a different world a than the rest of society. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's wild down there. I did. I did hear somebody say the other day. I was listening to a podcast. They were talking about this, and they brought up uh, maybe A and M's worried about you know that Alabama job when Saban retires. Okay. I mean, I don't know if they I mean, I'm kind of convinced Saban's going to outlive us all, and well, Coach Tully's about 160 years old. But yeah, turns out the key to life is just winning a right. bunch. Just In the year 2073, maybe Jimbo Fisher gets poached. Yeah, <laughs> maybe Jimbo will uh, be in year 500 of his contract at A&M and have two 10 win seasons. Yeah. Oh, uh, how about the how about the Texas situation with Arkansas? Dude, I'm watching that game. Number one, Arkansas is just beating the hell out of Texas. Dominate. Number two, the whole quarterback situation there. I don't understand it. And I guess they they announced yesterday that Casey Thompson is going to start this week, which look, you have to make a move when you get embarrassed like that something has to change. You have to do something different or the entire fan base might mutiny in, in Sarkeesian's second game. So, you know, obviously a change was going to happen somewhere along the way, but I, I thought Casey Thompson has looked like the better quarterback anyway. He had momentum coming from last offseason. Like, I just, I don't understand what they were seeing where they thought Hudson Card was the better option than Casey Thompson. So maybe Casey Thompson turns things around. Maybe he doesn't. His skill set looks like it's the better fit. For he's pretty that, athletic. He's athletic. Yeah, he's, yeah, you know. yeah. He moves anyway. around well. He throw, I, he throws the football better. I think. So. Yeah. We well, I mean, first off, Sarkeesian during camp, I mean, he was pretty open to the media about like because they keep obviously he kept getting asked about the quarterback you know position and like who's going to be the starter of game one, and pretty early on in camp, he I mean he was open. He said that these like we I don't know because somebody needs to step up because right now we don't have a good option at quarterback, and. Hudson Card was, I mean, he was pretty decent against Louisiana. I said it last week. If Hudson Card is like, just plays at the level he played against Louisiana, the Texas should be, they'll be fine because they don't, with B. John Robinson and how dynamic he is as a back, and Arkansas did a great job of shutting him down. Did, uh, did you think that he looked 100%? I mean, because he obviously got hurt last week and he came back in, but he wasn't as dynamic after he left the game against Louisiana as he was before. Do you, did it seem to you like that carried over at all? Yes. Or do you think it was just Arkansas? Do you yeah. think it was injured? I, or, I yeah. mean, look, you can still see explosiveness if a guy is not running the ball. Like, you can see explosiveness behind the line of scrimmage, right? Like, it's right. you may still get tackled at the line of scrimmage. But, yeah, there just didn't seem to be any sort of burst whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, – when he went down, the way he went down, it was pretty gnarly when he went – I got hurt against Louisiana. So, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly was shocked that he even went back in that game against Louisiana. Like, yeah. that was probably unnecessary at that point in the game. But, yeah, Texas is a disaster. I mean, it's exactly what we thought it would be. And I don't know, like, there was a lot of people that thought Sarkeesian was going to go in and change things. But, I mean, this is a, like, institutional, like, disaster right now. Because we're talking about a program that they haven't been good in 11 years, 12 years. Like, that. you can't just fix that in your first year as a, as a new head coach. Yeah, it's tough. And I don't know. I don't think that Herman, given more time, would have made a difference. I think, I think he had long enough to try and, you know, do something and progress them in the right direction. 
And I imagine it's going to be the same situation with Sarkeesian. He's going to struggle for three years, and he's going to get fired. And they're going to bring in another guy, and the other guy's going to be in the same situation. He's going to struggle for three years, and they're yeah. going to get fired. Like they've got to they've got to find a coach they could give six or seven years to before they expect him to be like contenders again, like title yeah, contenders for sure. And I don't I just don't know if you're at Texas. Like I think that's one of the hard things about college football is you don't really have like programs like that USC and Texas. You don't really have a super long leash. Yeah, you're expected to turn it around very quickly. Now, again, year number one, game number two, I I don't think that's the expectation. But I I would say that regardless of the overall abilities of that football team, there is a baseline expectation just on the athletes that you have on campus that you don't get blown out by Arkansas, right? Not not even blown out. Like, they were physically Physically absolutely dominated from the get-go. Yeah. 60 minutes. Yeah. Whether Texas you're good at football no or not, they have good enough athletes that that should not happen, right? Texas just Texas brings in top-tier athletes. Right. You're right. Like you should never be out-athleted right. by any team. At the at the worst-case scenario, it should be like a wash as yeah. far as like athletic ability. Yeah, and they were physically beaten down in that game. It was yeah, yeah. it was crazy. Um how about the Clay Helton situation? I feel like Aaron he has been probably number 1 on coacheshotseat.com for like the last two years. So my question is, going into the year, if you're USC and you know this guy is one bad loss away from being fired, what's the point in bringing him back? Like, why didn't they just make the change? Especially if you're going to fire him two games into the season. Yeah. If he's that close, if the leash is that short, then pull the plug. Like, what's the point in going forward with the guy? Now you're asking, uh, did they announce who was going to be the interim? Yeah, they did. I can't remember who it was. Well, regardless, so now you're looking, exactly, now you're asking some guy that wasn't planning on being a head coach, and obviously this is the same situ- like scenario with every head coach that's an interim head coach in the middle of a season, but now you're asking a dude to be an interim head coach for three months, for ten yeah. more games at minimum, and just, yeah, it's, I don't get it. I mean, this program's, this entire program's a disaster. Yeah, Dante Williams, um, by the way, the cornerback's coach. Naturally. Um... I don't know who surely they could have poached somebody. I mean, if like, I'm trying to think of like the coaching carousel from this past, you know, spring and summer. And I'm thinking, well, who could they have hired, but they could have put USC. They yeah. could have poached 95% of the coaches in the country Yeah, and I brought agree. them in, you know, maybe, I don't know, but it's, it, it, they're a lot like Texas. It's kind of a disaster. Like they just keep cycling through these coaches and nothing's going to change because you don't let, you don't give anybody enough time to change the culture of the program. And, I mean, they're not going to be good anytime soon, and it's not a great look. Oregon beating Ohio State, great look for the Pac-12. But, I mean, you're talking about your most prestigious program, and they just fired their coach two games into the season. Yeah. It, one and one. They're not, they, they, one and one. Like, I understand that they, it was a pretty bad loss to Stanford, but it just seems like you were just waiting for an excuse to get rid of Clay Helton. Yeah. Agreed. Which, to your point, What's which the to point? your point, yeah, if that's your mindset, like you said, why not just fire him in January – and find a head coach that you like and you want to keep around for long term. Yeah, name an interim coach. I mean, if you have to, if if the guy that you want isn't out there, or you think you're a year away from getting the guy you want, then just right. fire him in the offseason and, and bring in an interim, and at least you have some consistency all year long. Not to mention, I, I think from the get go, it probably lowers the expectations on the team as a whole. But this idea that you're going to start a football season with a guy that Norman that uh, is a pretty highly touted coach right now. Yeah. Yeah. Throw some money at him. Yeah. Like, I I know that, like, the mindset now for most programs is trying to find an offensive-minded head coach, but, I mean, 
I mean, what, just looking at options across the country, I mean, Alex, why not throw money at Alex Grinch of USC? I mean, that's that's definitely a hard like thing to look at and just absolutely like, not even think about if you're Alex Grinch. I mean, it's USC. I don't know. I mean, that's a big jump to go from a you know a coordinator to the head coach of USC, but still, there's there's options. And you know, like we just said, like if you're if you're looking at Clay Helton, you're thinking this isn't it. You got so many options. Like whether it's an interim head coach or a young guy that you could stick it for five years. Like there's you can figure something out in college football that's better than firing your coach two games into the season. Yeah, agreed. Um, I don't know that they would go the Alex Grinch route because hearing the names that have been thrown out for this thing, I mean, there was a report yesterday about an hour after the firing happened that it was Luke Fickle's job to turn down. Uh, obviously, he's done a terrific job at Cincinnati. He's, you know, he's he's been around big-time football programs. He's an Ohio State guy. Um, you know, that would be, I, I think... That would make a lot of sense to me if that's the route they went. Um, I also saw Bob Stoops' name being floated around. I saw Chris <laughs> Peterson's name being floated around. Um, so yeah, like I said, they probably want a, a guy that has you know established, an established name. head yeah. coaching experience. Yeah, the Bob the Bob Stoops is hysterical. The, the, could you imagine any scenario in the world? I mean, obviously there's obviously one scenario, but like. What are the odds that Bob Stoops even entertains going back to coaching at USC? Bob Stoops in Los Angeles as the head. He coach. just got a he's got a cushy job on TV now. He's selling yeah. his tequila. That dude, I have not. When's the last time you saw that guy? Besides, I guess on TV, not in shorts. Yeah, he looks as relaxed as we've ever he's, seen him. He's in full retirement mode. There's no way that dude is coming back to coach. I don't see it. Show it. And his son is playing bug, at Oklahoma. Right, right. If he gets a coaching bug, a couple, you know, like one day a week, he just shows up to practice in Norman and just yeah. like helps out. Yeah. And then he goes home. He's like, oh, glad I don't got to recruit or watch film now. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with Urban Meyer. Like Urban Meyer basically said that his biggest uh, like reason for going to the NFL is because he wanted to coach, but he didn't want to recruit. Yeah. By the way, he wanted, that has I been. That. There are reports already coming out of Jacksonville that it's a it's a complete disaster. That he is completely inept for this position and I mean there's speculation Aaron there was speculation yesterday that Urban Meyer potentially is a candidate for the USC job I told you months ago I don't know if I told you on the podcast but I'm pretty confident I told you I know I told other people it's a disaster that you cannot walk into an NFL locker room with the mindset look Urban Meyer is a guy that notoriously like played favorites in Florida and at Ohio State and would have like his inner circle of trust or whatever Dude, these are professional athletes. You can't like, you can't do that. You can't establish a level of hierarchy. You just like, there there is no level of hierarchy in the NFL. Like, the coach is on the same level as the players, if not lower than the players, a lot of the time. So, yeah, and he's going in there, and like there was like I, reports of like the way that like, he was running camp a little like, a lot like college, I guess. I can't remember the exact details, but like just through like in camp, like it was already grumblings about the players like not liking the way he was doing it, and. Yeah. Did he's checked? He doesn't want to be there. Like I have not had heard him speak one time and thought, man, this is a guy that's excited to be coaching the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, it's funny because there's like this. He doesn't want to recruit, but like the part that comes with that is you're also not the supreme leader in the NFL. So like there's a there's a give and take there where in college you have to recruit, but you're also the guy, right? Like you're the face of the program. Yeah, there is. You are the decision maker as far as as football things go. And in the NFL, you don't have to recruit anymore, but the buck doesn't stop with you as the head coach. There are a lot of other voices and players, for that matter, that make more money than you do. That it's like you just can't operate the same way. It's 
I mean, Nick Saban uh, I, didn't have success at the NFL level. Chip Kelly didn't have success at the NFL level. Steve Spurrier didn't have success at the NFL level. Look, yeah, it's just, it's a completely different mindset. Like, like you said, like, you kind of just, I don't know, how would you describe the role of the head coach? Because it's easy to describe the role of a head coach at a college program, but like, as far as like the NFL, like, how would you, it's, you're more of like a, I guess like a manager, like a, like a store manager, like a manager at a restaurant as yeah. opposed to like the CEO. Yeah. Like yeah. you're kind of just delegating job duties to everybody and That's then hoping exactly that right. they do their job. That's exactly right. And, and you're, you're, you're dealing with grown men and especially like the most important players on your team make more money than you do. Well, yeah, I, I would have, I would say like 25% of a roster, like individual guys are going to make more money than the yeah. head coach in the NFL. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, there, there obviously has to be a certain amount of like demanding respect, I think, but sure. Like it, you, it's not like a college locker room where you just walk in and it's like what I say goes or, or else, you know, it's right. like, that's not going to work at the NFL level. Right. I mean, like, it's not like guys like Bill Belichick or um, Andy Reid. Maybe in special circumstances they'll do this, but I mean they're not like going into the locker room at halftime and giving like this this raw raw speech before you go back out in the second half. Like you're breaking up into your like your te- your units and your positional groups and your position coaches talking to like the NFL. The uh, honestly like the position coaches probably are more important than like necessarily day to day than what the head coach is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends whether your head coach is a micromanager or not, but For yeah, sure. I mean, he is, he is there to oversee all of it and, you know, position coaches and coordinators will bring him like thoughts and opinions about things. And he may be the decider like on, you know, do we want to do this or this, but yeah, he's not the one that's, you know, coming up with the entire game plan or, you know, it's, it's uh like you said, I think it's a more of a manager role. And obviously there's exceptions like Andy Reid who sure. calls the plays for, for sure. Kansas City and designs the offense. And, you know, so he wants to get behind the bar and make some drinks sometimes. But then a lot of situations, there's guys like Bill Belichick, who is obviously the greatest coach of all time, but he doesn't necessarily he, – he lets his coaches do their things. And I mean, he's been known to, like, take over the defensive play calling sometimes when yeah. he gets annoyed by it. But, yeah, it's – Urban Meyer just – I don't know why, like just from the get go, it just felt like a disaster. And a lot of that is just my bias because I really don't like Urban Meyer. I think he's a scumbag, but it's a tough situation too. You're taking over the worst team in the league and their, their play calling on Sunday was absolutely atrocious. Like I do not understand. You have a really good running back in James Robinson who, you know, in the second year in his career, but he was really good last year as a rookie and a pretty okay offensive line and you're going to throw the ball like 40 times with a quarterback playing his first game in the league 51 times they threw it 51 times against Houston I know they got down and they had to try and get back in the game but I mean from the get-go they were lining up with five wide empty back like sets and just throwing the ball like three straight downs or throw the ball and go three and out and it's just like you're playing a team with Tyrod Taylor who's going to try and you know work the clock and keep their offense on the field and just you know score touchdown in seven minutes and burn that clock and win a game but you're giving them ball after having the ball for 15 seconds because you threw three straight incompletions. And they got embarrassed by the worst. I think Jacksonville is a better team than Houston. But they just, I mean, they absolutely got embarrassed by, in my opinion, the worst roster in the league. Crazy, man. I would not be shocked if Urban Meyer is the next head coach at USC. I don't, I mean, maybe. I don't, I, I think that, I don't, if he gets fired from Jacksonville, I think he's just, I don't think he's going to go back to I don't coaching. think he gets fired. I think he leaves. <laughs> I think he's like, nah, this isn't for me. 
God, I hope so, because that would just really like be another notch in my like Urban Meyer is a scumbag belt. Yeah. Um, I've I've I don't know if you saw this yesterday. Joel Klatt, uh, who I think is is really good, uh, put out a list of the best college football jobs. I saw that. Uh, so he goes Texas number one, Alabama number two, USC number three, Ohio State number four, Georgia number five. Uh, First of all, okay. USC over Ohio State? No uh, te- way. Texas over Alabama? Texas over oh. Alabama? No way. <laughs> I mean, I know he's a Big 12 guy. I mean, he's a Colorado guy, but I, I would assume he still considers himself a Big 12 guy, seeing he played in uh, played the Big 12. But, I mean, okay, so if I was making this list – are we, are we, I assume he's talking about right now, like on September 14th, 2021, or sept- yeah. when he tweeted it yesterday. Today, the, way, the best Really jobs. quickly, I want to throw this out because I think people hear best coaching jobs in college football, and they associate that with how much success universities have had. And they're two completely different things. How much success you've had is not the same thing as whether it's a you have the built-in advantages to have success. Right. So, like, for example, Oklahoma State plays in the same conference as Texas. Oklahoma State has had way more success over the last 10 years than Texas has had. But it's not even close which is the better job. Like, you right. have so many... It's it's about built-in advantages when you take that job versus other jobs. So, I, I just get so sick of, of hearing people compare jobs and somebody saying, well, this team is, has won four conference titles in the last decade, and this team has won one. Like, that's that's completely irrelevant. Well, it's not completely right. irrelevant because if you're winning conference titles, obviously there's a spotlight on your university that's going to help you in recruiting. But there's just a much bigger argument for why a job is a good job because there are built-in advantages to certain jobs regardless of success. Right. So if I was ranking, if I was making my own list, I think Ohio State's one okay. because, like you said, they've got the money, they've got the the like built-in like advantages, and I think that they're easily the top dog in an entire region of the country. So when you're talking about like that Michigan, Ohio, like Illinois, that entire Midwest region up there, they're the top dog. They get the pick of the recruits over all the other teams, even Michigan right now. So I think they're one. And then I would put Alabama two. I think Alabama's in a tougher situation just because of where they're at geographically. That I don't think there's as many great recruits coming out of their area, especially in like the Mississippi, Alabama area. And we've seen them get pretty down with, you know, with when Nick Saban wasn't there. And after they won the national title with um, – who was the head coach that won the title in the 90s? Gene Stallings. So, yeah. So yeah. – and then they, they dip. So we've seen Alabama dip. So I know the recruiting can take a big dip if they don't have that guy leading the program to bring in the recruits. But I still think they're two right now. I mean talking about right now. Even after Nick Saban leaves, they've won so much over the past 15 years that that's going to give them a pretty long leash as far as like the way that recruits view that program. I think that Oklahoma's probably three. I you mean, think Oklahoma has more built-in advantages than Texas? Yeah, I mean, look at—I mean, look. I—I I think it's—I think it's close, and I think there's a debate to be had there. And look, one of the reasons why I think Oklahoma deserves a ton of credit for the success that they've had against their rival Texas is because I do think Texas has more built-in advantages, and that it's comical to me that Oklahoma has dwarfed them in terms of success and you know actually putting it all together on the football field. Okay, so let me make my argument for Oklahoma over okay. Texas. So Oklahoma, they're 
inner workings of the athletic program with Joe C and everybody, like they have shown that they are, and it, it helps when, you know, Bob Stoops has great success year two and then Lincoln Riley comes in immediately. But like, we don't really have much argument to show that this athletic program doesn't have patience with their coaches, that they don't have patience to win. I mean, how I maybe mean, Mike Stoops was around here way longer than he probably should have been, but you have the patience right now that you don't have at Texas as a head coach. I mean, Texas is cycling through coaches for the past 10 years, and right. they're not having success. Right now, Oklahoma and Texas are pretty competitive recruiting-wise, but Texas has to compete with Texas A&M in the area. They're competing with Oklahoma, it just in like their, their state. But Oklahoma, and I know that Oklahoma doesn't produce as many top recruits as Texas, but they've, Oklahoma's gotten a lot better, I would say, over the past 20 years of producing like top-quality like college-level prospects out mm-hmm. of high school. Oklahoma has no competition in the state. Any five-star or four-star kid out of the state of Oklahoma, if he's staying in state, he's going to Oklahoma. He's not, Oklahoma State's generally not going to be the first choice of an in-state kid. So they've got an entire state where they're the top dog and get to recruit from. Plus, you go into Texas and you're poaching a ton of kids from the University of Texas. I, I think Texas obviously does a great job because they've got so much money. They've got prestige. to you know the, the helmet, the logo means something to a lot of kids. But I think that Oklahoma just has – they have an easier time. I think that they're set up for more success, and they've shown it because they've had no dip in 20 years. Yeah. I mean, they have one dip, obviously, in what, 2013 when they won like seven games or eight games. And they came back the next year and made the playoffs. Yeah. I think it's close. I think there's an argument to be had either way, and I don't think you're crazy either way uh, to say that Oklahoma's a better job than Texas or vice versa because, like I said, in terms of – Built-in advantages with a job. They're the number one brand in arguably the number one recruiting state in the country. And you talked about the money, the facilities, the, uh, I mean, the the dedication to winning. Now, there is a massive negative with Texas where there's not with Oklahoma and some of these other schools because there's so much money from a donor standpoint that goes into that football program. It does seem like there are more voices when things aren't going well that contribute to the overall outcome. So that could be a big negative against Texas as well. And if, if that's your reasoning for dropping them behind Oklahoma, like I totally get that. But Matthew McConaughey wants you out. He, you're out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, like once again, though, like to me, there's just a big difference in having those advantages and hiring the right guy to put it together on the football field than hiring the wrong guy and everything going in the wrong direction. So I think those two are really close, and I think you can make an argument either way. But to me, it's Alabama 1, it's Ohio State 2, um, and then I, I think Oklahoma and Texas are in the conversation in the top five. I think USC's in the conversation. I, I don't know for sure I would put USC guaranteed in the top five. Well, I also think... you. Okay, go ahead. What about Oregon? I, not quite. I, I don't put Oregon on the same tier as, like, LSU, Georgia... But I, I think I Oregon, I mean, Oregon's I, higher I than most close. people would probably expect. They're, I think they've got to be top. I mean, they're top ten for me. They've got a lot of built-in infrastructure. Yeah, that what helps you would help you succeed. I mean, Pac-12's just the a Nike massive disadvantage, alone. though. Geographically, you're yeah, you're yeah. definitely you're in a tough scenario. I mean, you're you're basically hoping that you get a lot of kids out of Northern California. Right. I would imagine because right. you're not right. getting anything out of Oregon, out of the state. So, yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, the, the, Texas being number one is comical. It's insane. It's yeah. I, I no, it's not. I mean, the long the Longhorn Network's dying, right? Am I correct about that, or is that going to stay? It will be gone by the time Texas is in the SEC. Right. So yeah. losing that that yeah. aspect of it, 
that, like you said, there's so many voices that like you really, they don't have a lot of patience, especially like the more they continue to struggle, the, the less patience they're going to have with a new head coach. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. get it. Look, I mean, there's, it's, it's the, it's the brand and there's a lot of money. It's in Austin. Austin's the fastest growing city in the United States. Like there are a lot of aspects of Texas, but I, I just don't think it's an easy program to succeed in right now. And it, it, I mean, I have nothing to prove that it is. Yeah. Well, and look, I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to rescue a football program that's going in the wrong direction anyway. Right. And that's what I said earlier. Like it's been going can't... in the wrong direction since Mac Brown, the end of Mac Brown's tenure and Charlie strong never turned it in the right direction. Uh, Herman never turned it in the right direction. We'll see if Steve, if Sarkeesian ever gets it at least turned in the right direction. But until you get it going the right way, like it, it to me, it seems pretty tough to think it's going to be back to where it should be. Dude, they need. I mean, I don't like. They need to get somebody like uh, John Taffer or somebody in there because, like, it's absolutely. It's a complete disaster. Like, you, you, first off, they've just. I don't know. Like, ever since the Mac Brown left. They bring in Charlie Strong, who's like way extreme in like the disciplinary side, and which like, I think needed to happen. Sure, I mean, remember when he like year one, like he got rid of everybody. Yeah. How many players got cut from that team, or like and like coaches got fired? Like he he cleaned house, which cleaned is crazy house, in a college football program. It was also yeah. going to mean that he wasn't going to have a lot of success. Success, right? Uh, but it so, had to happen, and uh, there was like the I remember the big story. I think it was the first year that he was there, where he was making players walk to the practice field instead of riding the bus or whatever, their little carting system mm-hmm. that, uh, that gives players a ride to the practice facility. And, and there was I mean, like a big deal made about that. I, I like, mean, I would be pissed if I was a player. That campus is massive. Yeah, no, it's huge. It's gigantic. Yeah. But like, what, what did we heard in the couple years before Charlie Strong took over? Like Texas was lacking toughness. For sure. I mean, like when, well, when you're complaining Saturday, about walking to the practice are. field that like, I, I always like, it was comical to me because I always felt like, Complaining about walking to the practice field kind of confirmed all of the toughness questions sure. that had been asked for multiple seasons. Well, they must not be walking anymore after <laughs> what I saw Saturday. So, And then the Tom Herman era, like I think, is remembered for kissing players on the mouth and gauging the color of their, their urine. I, from the very beginning, maybe not from the very beginning, because I, I, I did think that Herman would have success at Texas based off what he did at Houston. But Same. it was pretty... Pretty early on, pretty quickly, like you could tell he was kind of overwhelmed by the situation. Like, I mean, just any of the press conferences. Like, I sat in those those cotton those uh, Red River shootout, Red River rivalry, whatever we're gonna call it. Like post game press conferences and the way that he just managed the press conference, it he felt it seemed like he was overwhelmed by the pressure at Texas because he was, I don't know, he just never came off as like a guy that was calm and like confident in what his pro where his program was at. And I like I get it. We just talked about it. Like it's a tough program. There's a lot of pressure on you, a lot of voices, and he just didn't seem like he was ready for it. But I don't know. Maybe maybe Sarkeesian is. I don't know. Sarkeesian's been through a lot in his coaching career. He's been in a lot of yeah. top tier programs. Maybe he'll way, get that Nick Saban rub. Yeah. Nope. Nobody has yet, right? Nick Saban just Kirby like, Smart. That's true. That's true. But he's the only one I can think of. Yeah. Uh, we have odds officially. We have odds for the next head coach at USC. So Luke Fickle and James Franklin are both plus six hundred as the favorite. Chris Peterson is. Go ahead. How does wait, hang on? How does James Franklin have the same odds as Luke Fickle? And USC that it's Luke said it's Luke Fickle's job to lose. Well, that was the How's report Luke... yesterday. I don't think that, that USC okay. ever put that out, but yeah, that was gotcha. the, the report. Was it's it's Luke Fickle's job to turn down. Um, but Luke Fickle, James Franklin at plus six hundred each as the favorites. Chris Peterson plus seven hundred. Bob Stoops plus eight hundred. Matt Campbell plus one thousand. Which, if that job is offered to Matt Campbell. 
Got to take it. You got to take it. Like, I, if you didn't get the start that you got this year for Iowa State, like, it's just never going to happen. So, yeah. Matt Campbell plus 1,000. PJ Fleck plus 1,000. Your boy Bill O'Brien, who's currently at Alabama. Another Nick Saban recycle. Bill O'Brien plus 1,100. Urban Meyer plus 1,200. Mario Cristobal plus 1,500. This is one of my favorites. Gary Patterson plus 1,800. And then Tony Elliott, who is the Clemson OC, plus 2,000. Gary Patterson. TCU. Why is that? What is it? TCU. Oh, duh. I was like, that name sounds so familiar, but like, why can I not like put a face on it? The country music singing this, head coach of the Horned yeah, Frogs. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, I sneakingly, I have a sneaking suspicion that if my Urban Meyer theory doesn't come to fruition, that Bill O'Brien might be the guy. Had a lot of success at Penn State. People love the Nick Saban retreads. And and Clay Helton will probably go join Saban's staff. And look, too, not only did Bill O'Brien have success at Penn State, he took over after the, the scandal, after the, the Sandusky-Paterno yeah. scandal. And... Did an amazing job. Yeah. Like he did a, a better job than anybody could have asked him to do. And arguably, I, I don't know if in the history of college football, at least at the, that level, that there has been a tougher job to take at that time. I mean, could you imagine taking being the guy that took over for Joe Paterno? After, no. I mean, first off, Joe, just taking after Joe, Joe Paterno, if nothing happened, like if his image was squeaky clean and he retired, just taking over for him alone is an incredible amount of pressure for a head coach. But then you add the scandal to exacerbate that. Like, yeah. and he's a, and look, terrible GM. Absolutely just destroyed the Houston Texans organization and their roster. But he was like, I have always said it and I'll stick by it. Like that dude's a good head coach. He had them outperforming their talent level for years. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about making the playoffs with Ryan Mallett and TJ Yates, but I mean, honestly, so, I, I, the Penn state thing to your point, I think it, it was, it would probably be easier with the scandal to turn that thing around than if Paterno had just left and awesome. you're I mean, replacing no, a legend because the expectation, yeah. although your image and brand is tarnished, the expectation of turning it around is at the lowest it's ever going to be for a school like Penn state. So no, you can't, you couldn't get recruits. Like yeah. there were so many sanctions on the program. Like it was, I think that would be a good hire by USC. Honestly, I think he's a good head coach and I think that he knows how to win. Agreed. Chris Peterson's interesting to me because I think it would be absolutely hilarious to go get Chris Peterson when Washington is terrible. Like, don't get them when they're having success. Like, wait until they win four games and then hire them away from uh, Seattle. But I mean, um, it's, Luke, Luke Fickle just makes too much sense. Unless, like, because Ryan Day is not going anywhere, so Fickle's not getting the Ohio State job. But he's done a, a he's done an incredible job at Cincinnati. Didn't. I thought that uh, Peterson had retired and gone to was like a oh, did. football analyst for somebody or, or on television. I think he's I a TV guy now he, somewhere. Fox maybe? I forgot that he just like randomly retired yeah. out of nowhere. But I, I can't even – I couldn't tell you right now. I'll Google it, but I can't tell you Google who Washington the Washington football coach – yeah, Washington's football coaches. Jimmy Lake. Okay. I remember it being somebody that I knew nothing about, but yeah. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. I mean, like this just shows you how little people pay attention to the Pac-12 football that like Chris <laughs> Peterson hasn't been there since 2019. Yeah. I'm like, oh, he's terrible. They yeah. suck. But uh, I'm I, the only reason I remember that is because I made the same mistake last year. Yeah, I mean, he it was. I remember it being just like 
no buzz. And then one day it was like the Bob Stoops thing. Like, eh, I'm done. Yeah. I last like legitimately last season, I thought he was the, still the coach at Washington. And then I remember somebody saying like, no, he's not there anymore. And I, I was like, how did, how, what? Yeah. When did that happen? I have no, no recollection of him stepping down. But he's a, I mean, he's obviously long time at Boise, Washington. Like he's been, he's a great coach in that part of the country. Of and he's a good football coach. Yeah. Look, if you can win at Boise and Washington, you can win at USC. Yeah. USC just has to give them time. Yeah. But I don't know if you're a guy like Chris Peterson, you're going to come out of retirement for like a long-term project. Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting question. I don't know. Um, were you able to watch the OU? You were able to watch the OU game, right? I did. Yeah, I did. Okay. I, I wasn't able to watch it, obviously, because it was on a, the pay-per-view game. But how they look? I mean, the, 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 the score, the numbers look good. I mean, I mean, I, I think it was nothing is it was one of those things. And, and Dusty told me last week that talking to the coaching staff, they use the word embarrassed by their week one performance. And he also said that the coaches told him that they had one of their best weeks of practice ever last week. So when you combine a motivated, focused Oklahoma team that is a national title contender facing a bad FCS opponent, I mean, the expectation, I think my score prediction actually Aaron was 70 to zero and they went 76 to zero. So the expectation was a near or not even near a flawless performance. Like you should go dominate this football team. The starters should be done by halftime. The goal here is to take care of business the way you should get the starters out of there healthy and let a bunch of young guys have an opportunity to play the final 30 minutes of the game. That's exactly what happened. Spencer Rattler made, I mean, again, like it's, what do you say? He, he's throwing to a lot of open receivers against Western Carolina. It's one of those things where if you give Oklahoma right. a compliment in this game, like it almost, you have to automatically at the end of every sentence, just understand that, that this is part of it. Just say, but it's Western Carolina. So anything I say here in your mind, just say, but it's Western Carolina. So, cause I mean, that's just the reality of it. So, I mean, Spencer Rattler did a good job of spreading the ball around. A lot of receivers got involved. I think we had what four different um, pass catching touchdowns. Uh, Eric Gray looked good. Uh, definitely bounced back again, but it's Western Carolina. Carolina. Defense looked terrific. Flew to the football. Uh, I really liked what we saw from Danny Stutzman, the freshman linebacker that, that ran with the ones in the first half. He looks like he is a player. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, like I really like the weatherman, Jaden Knowles, their third string running back that that wants to be a meteorologist and got a couple yeah, of touchdown runs yeah. in the second half. Like that's a good story, but and and certainly, you know, having a number three running back is something that is actually needed for this team because of the well, depth. We were chart. talking about who was it, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean it's it's just Mario Williams looked great as he should. Jaden Hazelwood looked great as he should. You know, Mike Woods gets a touchdown, Spencer Rattler threw the ball well. I mean, everything that should have happened did happen. So there's not like any big takeaways, but they they did they also didn't show up and lay an egg and have everybody talking about all the things that didn't happen either. So, yeah, it was just, it, they did what they should have done. Have you seen the line on the uh, Nebraska game yet? I think I remember seeing it at like 22. Yeah, it's at 22. Okay. I mean, I know Nebraska's down, but that seems... 22. I mean, that's that's pretty insulting for a former, like, top-tier program to come into Norman yeah. and be 22-point dogs. Honestly, I think this is a nice kicking, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's how do they keep up? I mean, Adrian Martinez has been okay through the first couple. Or the, I guess not. He was pretty bad there for week one game, but like the last two games, he's been okay. But yeah, I mean, they don't have the offense to keep up with OU. But Oklahoma's yeah, last uh, national title was two thousand. Nebraska's last national title was three years before that, when they had won the final 
of their three and four years. And to see Oklahoma, you know, obviously still a major brand and in title contention and Nebraska looking like they don't even deserve to be a power five team is shocking. I mean, I mean, I, I, I don't know, but there could be an argument that Oklahoma's a bigger brand than they were when they, after they won that national title. Yeah. That's totally reasonable. They're going to the freaking SEC, Colby. Ain't nobody in 2000 going to the SEC. SEC team. Yep. Yeah. Bunch of Heisman um, winning quarterbacks. Uh, how, how much football did you watch Sunday since the Cowboys weren't on? All day. All day. All Ooh, I, day uh, long. I got up early Sunday morning. Little man and I watched the Italian Grand Prix. That finished up, I think, around like 10, 1030-ish. And then from that point on, it was NFL until the Rams game ended it at night. It, look, I know some people love the Super Bowl and like can't wait to watch the Super Bowl. But to me, week one is the best day. Like that first Sunday is the best day so of good. the entire NFL season. I have more like I, again. It's week one, so I'm super excited. But like, it, it's just so much fun. But uh, man, how about the uh, the Lincoln Riley quarterbacks just absolutely dominating in their games? Well, I don't know. If Jay, I wouldn't say Jalen Hurts dominated, but he looked, Jalen Hurts played really well. He Kyler played better Murray than I, I expected him to. Yeah, yeah. Kyler Murray though dominated. He played like an MVP quarterback. He yeah. if he plays like that, 16 out of the 18 games, like he might win the MVP if Arizona wins games. He was, I mean, some of the throws that he's making, and we knew we've, we've watched him in college we know what he's capable of but like to like watch him be more recognized on a national scale of what he can do with the football in his hands not just running because everybody knows he can run but like his arm strength is incredible that touchdown pass he had to deandre hopkins the back of the end zone on the run sick first off i mean deandre hopkins is probably one of only like three receivers in the entire league that would be able to make that play but great throw like unbelievable and then uh yeah like you said jalen hurts played a lot better um I mean, it, it seems like Philadelphia is kind of building an offense around what Jalen Hurts could do to kind of exemplify his strengths, uh, which a lot of it is just him making plays with his legs and, you know, moving the ball down the field, um, kind of improvising. But, yeah, it was a great, great day for uh, Lincoln Riley's uh, resume for his LinkedIn page yeah. to get some recruits in there. Um, yeah, but I think Sunday, I think Sunday, like, I think the biggest takeaway for me is that uh, and we've talked about this before, but like <laughs> the quarterback, the quarterback play from the starters across the league, uh, it's, it's a pretty damn good place. Like there's a couple of teams that didn't have good quarterback play. And obviously the bears are one because, you know, they started Andy Dalton <laughs> and got dominated. Right. Um, he didn't, they didn't have a play. They didn't have, the bears didn't have one single play that went for more than 11 yards that entire game. That was an embarrassment. Which is what we expected, though, yeah. right? Like, that's exactly what we'd expect from an Andy Dalton-led Bears offense. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm with you. The quarterback play league-wide was phenomenal. And to your point about the the, the Lincoln-Riley quarterbacks, I mean, Jalen Hurts... I didn't even mention Baker. Yeah, we have it, yeah. Jalen Hurts is a guy that I am, I would say, pessimistic about. Like, I just, I don't believe long-term that he is an NFL starting quarterback. Maybe, maybe like, lower 10, but I just don't believe he is, he's an upper half of the league starter. Uh, he looked that way, you know, in, in week one. We'll see how it progresses. I'm I'm willing to admit I'm wrong if he's able to do that consistently. But what we know about him is he's he is a competitor. Uh, obviously, the skill set works for today's NFL. And if they can get playmakers around him to take some of the load off his shoulders in a passing game, obviously with the way that he runs the football, like he can be serviceable and he can be a playmaker. 
for a team like Philadelphia. I just don't see Philadelphia being a content, in contention with Jalen Hurts at the helm. Kyler Murray, I said on Friday, like this is an MVP caliber quarterback in today's NFL. I thought that even if you took away the run game when he came out of Oklahoma, just from a passing standpoint, this guy was deserving of the number one overall pick. But the the video game ability to make plays with his legs or extend plays with his legs and still throw strikes down the football field is a game changer. And I mean, this is why you and I have had this talk about the the NFC West. This is why I've been so high on the Cardinals and how big a player they are in that division, because they added pieces to the defense and Kyler Murray, you know, again, he got hurt last year. Wasn't the same guy down the stretch, but like this guy is, is good enough to keep them in play. And I think with the progression that we're going to see from him this year, He's unbelievable. Um, Baker Mayfield. And the, and the, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, in the NFC, West went 4-0. Like, that yeah. is not, they have done nothing but, yeah. you know, kind of back up what we said. And a lot of people have said that that division is top to bottom stacked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Baker, Mayfield was, yeah Baker Mayfield was great. He um, was gr- other than the throw at the end where he was trying to throw the ball away and probably up, just yeah. should have eaten it because he was being taken to the ground. Other than that throw, which I'm sure I didn't listen, but I'm sure Colin Cowherd just killed him for that. But other than that throw, like, he was great. Great, yeah. He was terrific all game long. He was throwing the ball down the field really well. He the decision making was good. Like it was it was a really good performance from Baker. And I thought a mature performance from Baker in that matchup against the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Like I, I never felt like he was pressing. He just kind of took what was available to him. He made some big plays. Yeah, I thought Baker was terrific, literally until that throw that sealed the game for Kansas City. Right. And look, in the NFL, like they they the way that they broadcast their games, a lot of the times you can't really, from watching it on TV, you can't really get a good feel of how the crowd is affecting the game. That was one game, though, that you watched in an NFL broadcast, and that Kansas City crowd was absolutely affecting that game, and you could you could easily see it watching the game. And Baker, to his credit, like played through it, played great. And I, you know, I, t- I mentioned a second ago that Andy Dalton and the Bears on Sunday night didn't have a single play go for more than 11 yards. Baker Mayfield's average yards per completion was 11 and a half yards. Yeah, he averaged. Yeah more yards per completion than what the Bears' longest play in the entire game was. And look, did Cleveland collapse a little bit? Maybe. But they're playing the Chiefs. The Chiefs are the best team in the NFL, arguably. They've got Patrick Mahomes. Like, to end up losing that game, I don't think it's a big discredit. I think that Cleveland can walk away from that game and, like, look, obviously it's a loss. But, yeah. like, I wouldn't hang your – if I'm a Cleveland fan or a player, like, it's definitely not a loss you hang your head on. Like, you had a botched punt, and then Patrick Mahomes did – Crazy, stupid Patrick Mahomes Chubb things. fumbles, the botched punt. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there were a lot of things that led to Kansas City climbing back into that thing that weren't Baker Mayfield related. Right. And even it, look, it, even then, like, I think Cleveland played a great football game for, like, what, 45 minutes? Absolutely. 40, 50 minutes? Absolutely. So, against the Chiefs, against the two-time defending AFC champions, like, that's, like, that's, a, I, I walk away with that with a lot of, uh, a lot of hope if I'm the if I'm the Browns, but I uh, still believe those are the best two teams in the AFC, and I I really hope that we get to see those teams match up in January. Yeah, I mean, thinking through, like Tennessee was embarrassed. Their defense sucks. Ooh. They're not going to be up at that top level. The Bills look, and I, I we talked about this. We we're previewing the games last week. I, I was interested in that Bills Steelers game because I wanted to see if Josh Allen and that Buffalo offense can like continue that momentum they had from last year. Oh, they didn't. They looked absolutely terrible. That offensive line struggled against that Pittsburgh pass rush, which to Pittsburgh's defense, like no pun intended, they are dominant in their front seven. And they had a sack of what, like 70 something consecutive games. TJ Watt was great. But I mean, there's nothing like it was completely like 
disheartening, I guess, if you're a Buffalo fan to watch that. But it's obviously one game, but yeah, still. And then uh, I got a hot. T- I don't know if it's a hot take. There might be other people Ooh. that have this take, but I think that in two years, I'll give it three. Again, in three years, there is going to be no conversation about who the second best quarterback in the league is. And it's Justin Herbert. Like I, I watch him play. He does not make any bad passes. Every he had one bad interception that he threw, but like 31 completions, every single one, perfectly placed, uh, just great timing, like great arm strength. I like it. You could watch it last year, and it was just another sign of it against a great Washington defense. Like the way that he performed, and I know they only won by four, but it should have been a lot better. Like his receivers were dropping the ball uh, quite a bit. He's He's astronomically better than I would have ever expected him to be after watching him in uh, Mario Cristobal's offense at Oregon. Yeah. I, I would uh, – look, I think he is absolutely two years away from being, like, on that elite status and a top-five guy in the league. I, I, I'm not ready to, to, like, for me at least, to put him ahead of a guy like Kyler Murray two years from now, who I, I think is – I mean, I just told you, I think he's MVP he's caliber, I and he's just coming agree. into his own. But yes, I, I think your point is like this guy could also be in the MVP conversation in like a year or two, and I think that's absolutely true. He is he's incredible. Um, it makes me it makes me think like how many coaches in college football are just so stubborn about the way that they run their system that they just don't put their teams in the best you know best situations to win. When you've got a guy like Justin Herbert that can do the things he does, that I mean, I know that they won a lot at Oregon with him, but he never did things that he's done in the NFL while he played Oregon. He just never was asked to. And I don't, maybe, I don't know how much, like who, do they make a national championship game if they just unleash Justin Herbert in that offense? I don't know. Makes it just, It's one of those things that like, I wonder how many of these dudes just go completely untapped in college because the coaches yeah. just won't adjust their system, which is a credit to Lincoln Riley because he absolutely untaps his quarterbacks. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that Oregon system's not predicated on some it's a physical of, running style. Yeah, and, and you're not chunking the ball down the field, taking advantage of what we've seen Justin Herbert do really well. The other thing is, how many how many Keenan Allens and Mike Williams that's, that's a fair were in Oregon? Yeah. I mean, it, he kind of has the right receivers at multiple levels in the passing attack to take advantage of his full skill set, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point, which is weird that Oregon can recruit every position, but like they really never have like yeah. top-tier receivers. Right. It's crazy. Yeah, it's cra- that, that's the, like the. I, I mean, in today's football, it's the easiest, easiest position yeah. to find, right? Is yeah, pass catchers, fast dudes that can it's, catch the football. Like what, Danzy Thomas? Which I mean, was he even really a true receiver? Like that's the only way it comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, he's more of like a. He's like a return guy, I think. That just yeah, he's like it's a Tavon Austin type. Yeah, yeah, Tavon Austin. But, yeah, whatever we want to call that position. Yes, he's Tavon Austin. But yeah, it utility was, man. There were some good games Sunday. A lot of great quarterback play. Joe Burrow looked good. Joe Burrow like, looked Joe, terrific. Jamar Chase was actually catching the ball. Like, yeah. we're just going to go for four weeks of Jamar Chase not catching a single ball, him dropping everything and talking about how he can't catch the ball because there's no white stripes on the NFL ball. And then, obviously, I don't start him in fantasy, and then he does what he does. Aaron, you and I talked about this on the podcast. I was telling you too much is being made of this. The guy didn't play football last year. Everybody needed to ease up. Of course, they were going to make a big deal out of the first-round guy dropping a few passes, but it's preseason. Everybody, everybody's getting into the flow of things. Like, I don't know. I, I, we, you and I talked it, about this being a massive overreaction. Look, him dropping a few passes 
him dropping the passes necessarily wasn't a big deal. But when he like made an excuse for why he couldn't catch the ball to me, I was like, oh, this dude's Uh-oh. like in his head right now. He's going to need a little bit of time to get some confidence. So, and I'm, I don't, I'm not really beating myself about not starting him. Like, it's not like, I think it's completely justified in fantasy football not to start a receiver in their first game, but right. he looked really good. And like he, and well, everybody talks about like his inability to get separation. He got separation against that Minnesota defense. So maybe he just was like going half ass through camp and then turned it on the game. I don't know. But, um, I love to see Joe Mixon finally getting like a healthy amount of carries in a game, which it only took uh, Zach Taylor, what, like two and a half years to figure yeah. out that you should give Joe Mixon the ball 30 times yeah. if you want to win with that, that team. Well, they also, not that they got a first round pick, but they did address the offensive line. So that, that probably yeah. helps as well. A little bit better. And yeah. the, when you have to account for now Tyler Boyd and T Higgins and Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow throwing it over your head, that also weapons. Yeah. yeah, it all it all works together. So, um, that yeah, they were they were maybe the biggest surprise. Well, I don't know if I'd say biggest surprise because Jameis Winston completely annihilating the Green Bay Packers was a surprise. What a bizarre game! 148 yards and five touchdowns. What was he like? Eight of ten or something stupid like that? 14 of 20. 14 of 20. Okay. 148 yards, five, five touchdowns, touchdowns, no bigs. Which honestly, he needs to send you know a letter to Aaron Rodgers for helping him get five touchdowns in yeah. 148 yards. Cause Aaron Rodgers just, I, I saw somebody tweet this, like it was like the ultimate final, like middle finger to the Packers organization is Aaron Rodgers coming in and sabotaging the season. Absolutely. He looks, I don't know. I like that might've been the worst game I've ever seen Aaron Rodgers play. Obviously he's played a lot. So maybe I'm forgetting a couple, but I mean, just atrocious, just like lobbing the ball downfield to nobody, like not anticipating much, like, it's yeah. a tough day for the Packers. Packers are still going to be, I think they're still going to be good. They're probably still going to win that division, but especially after the entire division lost. So they're in no worse spot than they were after they lost to the Saints. They're still tied, for, you know, yeah. at day one. But yeah, it was an absolutely ass beating to lose to Jameis Winston in that fashion. But hey, maybe LASIK fixed Jameis Winston's uh, problems. I don't know, but... Sean Payton's also, you know, not not too bad in that area. Yeah, he's a pretty good coach. He knows how to put a quarterback in a good good position to win. By the way, apparently, like, ha- like the majority of the Saints coaching staff test positive for COVID today. Oh, I hadn't seen that. That's not good. Yeah, it just uh, dropped when we were uh, since we started recording. But apparently, they're pretty adamant they're going to be fine. So uh, maybe good. they're all vaccinated and they just need to. I don't know, but yeah. Well, you go to Florida, entire team's probably going to walk away with COVID. Or you go to a Washington football game and you walk away as a shithead. Did you see the sewer pipe bust at the Washington football game? No. Oh, there's a sewer pipe that broke that's in one of the overhangs on, like, I think the second level. And sewage starts pouring out of this pipe onto the fans. If If there is not a... I can, I think that there would be a better analogy... Or metaphor, I don't know. I'm not good at English. But a perfect metaphor, we'll call it a metaphor, for that ownership and that that team and that organization then literally dumping shit on their fans like they have done every Sunday for the past 20 years. We've been shitting on you guys for the last 20 years. And just to show how much we appreciate you, we're going to take that to the next level. You guys clearly love being shit on because you've been a loyal fan. So... You know what? We're just we're gonna give you the real deal this time. That sucks so bad. Like they're one of the only they're probably one of two teams in the in the NFL that can't sell out games. 
and now you're dumping turds on their fans. They're like they're oh. come to the game. You might you might get a special surprise. Yeah. Look, you thought we look. You, you, <laughs> I didn't know that they were doing Cleveland Steamers. I didn't know the Browns Cleveland were in town. Steamers in Washington. I, I oh, mean, gotta, I, officially, we have to have the conversation about renaming the Cleveland Steamer to the Washington Steamer. They, they look. Washington's changing their name potentially. There you go. I don't think they should. I love the football team like gimmick thing, but. Are, okay, let me, are you are you are you the same way as me? Where like you see like these like team names because you're so like, I guess indoctrinated or like used to like the teams that exist like Carolina Panthers. That's a normal team. The Seattle Seahawks. Well, that's a that's normal. That's a, yeah. that that's what I'm used to. But then you see like the Washington Renegades or the Washington like what at Senators, and you're like that's so stupid. Yeah, it's just stupid it names. Sounds like, minor league doing. Right, but like every team is the same. Like if the Indianapolis Colts were coming around, I'm like what? Did you yeah. name your, you're gonna name your team the Colts? So stupid. The Wildcats or the Tigers, like, right? There's a million Wildcats. The, the Bills? Are there even buff Bison in New York? Like, what are you doing? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't like. I thought the the whole football team thing was dumb at first, but at this point, I like, like it. It's wrong. I think it's better than the alternative. And I, I, I will say this though, I, I still get confused when I see the WFT. I still, in my mind, see WTF. Every time I read it, I'm like, WTF, and then I read the thing, and I'm like, it just, it throws me off every time. I like it, because, like, it's, like, the the rest of the world, like, like, in Europe, like, a soccer team, it's, like, Barcelona Football Club. Yeah. And that's just, like, the traditional way that you name teams. FC, yeah. So, like, Washington Football Team, it's just... If every team in the NFL was like that, it would would suck. But just, like, to have one... Should we just start calling them Washington FT, then? Sure, Washington FT, the FTs. Washington FT. Football the Washington team. FMs. There you go. Yeah. The game last night was great too, though. It's a good week one. I'm a. I, I was gonna say I'm super excited for Thursday, but of course it's another NFC oh, East game. Dude, what? We just had this conversation last week. Why does the NFC East? Again, the Cowboys are a big draw because they're polarizing. But why does the NFC East get all of these primetime games when it's the other three? Like the yeah. Giants or the Washington football team or the Eagles. Like, why? Why does that keep happening? So my only guess is, so every team has to play a Thursday night game. Yeah. I guess the schedule makers figured, let's just knock two of them out in one get game in week way. two yeah. and get it out of the way. Ugh. And I'm going to watch it because it's Thursday and I, I'm going to have no football for three days. I'm going to be, you know, jonesing for it. But Taylor Heineke, or yeah, Taylor Heineke, Heineke. and Daniel, Daniel Jones, ugh. God, kill me. I the, the only thing I can hope for is that Chase Young and, and Montez Sweat and that that front seven of Washington just get like eh, like fifteen sacks and that make it fun. Yeah. But yeah, terrible Thursday night game. Sunday night though, Ravens and Chiefs on Sunday night. Like that's a game that I'm like I can't wait for, especially after the game last night. Obviously Baltimore yeah. lost, but that was a great game. Dude, it, how good it, is the Cowboys Chargers game going to be? Yeah, that's on Monday night, right? That's uh Sunday the three thirty kick. It's the late game. Okay. Yeah. Late afternoon game, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm into that. Like, I'm excited that you're Cowboys like Chargers. You're, you're, those two offenses, hell yeah. You're gonna you're gonna get sixty minutes. You're gonna get to watch the love of my life, Justin Herbert, for a full game against your Dallas defense. Yeah, oh, it's gonna hurt, uh, but yeah. What are we doing? The Monday night game is Detroit and Green Bay. Yes. Also stinks. Ugh. God, freaking gross. Why Detroit? Why? The, the, the Lions. You don't have to have a Monday night. Not every team plays a Monday night game. You don't have to. You don't have to put the Lions on Monday night. Just because they're playing the Packers does not make it interesting. Detroit sucks so bad 
they forced Barry Sanders out of football in his prime. They forced Calvin Johnson out of football in his prime. And clearly, they've been holding Matthew Stafford back for 10 years. Oh, I'm pretty confident if they didn't trade Matthew Stafford, he might have retired. Well, he Probably so. Season. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he looks like a completely different human being. He looked good, man. That, he's, yeah. He is built perfectly for that offense, too. Yeah, just yeah. attacking downfield, running a lot of, like, like plays out of the off of play action. Like, he's going to be a top 10 quarterback this year. He's, yeah, he's going to, he's so, yeah, perfectly, perfect quarterback for that offense. Yeah. Did you, by the way, on the Sunday night broadcast, the uh, Chris Collinsworth and uh, Al Michaels pointed this out and it blew my mind. Sean McVay is still the youngest coach in the NFL. Wow. I didn't realize that. He's three, he's what, three or four years in, he's still the youngest coach, head coach in the NFL. Good for him. He's only 35. Yeah, young dude. It's crazy. But uh, speaking of broadcasts, Aaron, I am addicted to the Manning brothers. I want I, like, I want every football game I watch for the rest of time to be called by no, not every game because there are some great broadcast teams that I enjoy. But just Monday night. Holy cow, they were awesome. I did not change the channel one time. I literally watched that Manning broadcast from start to finish. It was so amazing. We, it was spectacular. We, we talked about this a, I don't know, a few weeks or a couple months ago when it was announced. And absolutely genius move by ESPN, but also one of the dumbest things they could do because now nobody's going to watch their main Monday night football broadcast. Yeah. I mean, everybody, at least they're still tuning into their ESPN channel, but like they're paying Steve Levy and, and Brian Greasy and like that crew. Louis like Riddick. Louis Riddick. They're paying yeah. them a lot of a good amount of money and nobody's going to watch them because no. you've got these goofy ass brothers. Yeah. Like just bullshitting for four hours and just having a good time. Yeah. And like, it's infectious. Like, I was, I was texting you about it last night. Like it's chaos. Like they're talking over each other a bunch and like that, but that, that adds some charm to it because it just feels like they're, I mean, they literally are just hanging out and talking football and like, but them talking over it, like, it doesn't bother me that they talk over each other. And usually I like a, you know, somewhat like a moderator or a host, I think plays an important role in a lot of these situations, but kudos to ESPN for not throwing in like some host to just like try and like delegate because that would have just ruined the whole scenario. Cause you just got to let, Got to let these dudes just ramble over each other. And yeah, cut they each need other to off. organically talk about what they want to talk about, and I, I'm with you yeah. completely. Like there were, there were points that they just were completely naive to the fact that they had to take commercial breaks, and they're having conversations that I wanted to hear. Like they're, they're in the middle yeah. of a conversation that I'm completely captivated by, and it gets cut off because they have to go to the break. There was the, I mean, at one point the producer is on the air telling them that the commercial is coming up. There was a fire alarm going off at one point during this thing, like. It was complete chaos. Both at, at times, both of them are talking about things simultaneously, but that was part of the charm to it. it. It legitimately just felt like it was, you know, two dudes just hanging out, watching football, and somebody had set up a camera to capture it. And I pray to God that they don't try to add, like, a host to this situation. I pray to God yeah. that they don't decide that Stephen A. Smith needs to, to be involved in something else on ESPN because every time something's a hit on ESPN, they're like, well, let's send Stephen A. there to F it up. Uh if they need to just leave it alone, let it be chaos. Let them miss breaks. Let them talk over each other. Let there be fire alarms. It was awesome. And and look, I think those guys, like there's a joking element to it that is fun because they're brothers and they're giving each other a hard time, especially Eli giving Peyton a hard time. But at the same time, they're giving you great stuff. I mean, as far well, as yeah, like the breakdown of the game geniuses. and why, like educating you, right? Like why things are happening. Yeah. Like there, there are times that I think analysts tell us what's going to happen or will tell us why something needs to happen, but not really give us the details to make us understand that thought process. 
I thought they were terrific from that standpoint. It's a great aspect because since they're not calling the game, yeah, they they can just ignore like four or five plays in a row. They can just be like, maybe if something big happens, like oh, nice catch by yeah. by Rugs there. But back to this play, like here's like uh, which is like great and it's it it's so informative, like you said. I thought Peyton surprisingly was doing a pretty decent job, like the bus, like going through the show, considering like yeah. that's not what he does. Right. He's never done it. Like it was for four hours and like managing like the third personality and like. There were points where Eli didn't really say much, especially like later in the game, but he would chime in here and there, like disagree with something that Peyton said, but Peyton wouldn't acknowledge it. And it was just such like a big brother, little brother, like dynamic that like Eli's like, (laughs) yeah, Peyton's like, that "That was a great block by the running back. And Eli's like, not really. No, really. really. I I remember that. That was funny. And then Peyton was a terrible block. Yeah. Peyton's just like, all right, whatever. Dude, the best, the best moment of the night. And I, I'm not even kidding you. I had tears rolling down my face, and I thought about this probably on five different occasions last night, and it just amused the hell out of me. So they have Ray Lewis on as their, I think, first quarter guest, and they come out of a break, and Eli Manning just out of nowhere goes, Hey, Ray, would you rather have a Peyton Manning helmet full of quarters or $10,000 cash? And and to give you a little context, like Eli Manning had been dropping forehead jokes for like 10 minutes straight leading into that joke and it was like I died laughing it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life that's so good and like I, I love I do I really like that they have the guest on for like extended periods of time um obviously every guest isn't going to be good for 30 minutes right. but like I thought Russell Wilson was really good in the fourth quarter Russell Wilson was that, amazing yeah like he's not as entertaining as either of the Manning brothers but like but he was very good at like knowing exactly what the mindset of like the quarterbacks were and the offenses yep. and like where they were going to go and how they were going to attack. And it was good. It was fun to listen to him. I, I know, I know that Peyton wanted to make fun of Ciara's dress at the Met Gala, but he like, he held back. So like, I, I know that he wanted to say something about it because it was so terrible. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it was good. And then also it was good that like a double blessing that like the game was incredible and like, went to overtime and like there was a lot of drama. So like it gave them plenty to talk about. And like, I I loved how Peyton was like getting excited for the players, like, like clapping when rugs catches the ball. Like, yeah. I'm like, this dude just wants to see these, these players do good. I loved how Peyton was getting pissed at the the Raiders fans making noise when the Raiders were on offense. Like he was getting mad. Like, shut up, give your quarterback a chance to do what he needs to do. You guys are like, playing a role in this offense struggling. Like that's one of the greatest to ever play the position. And he's literally talking about home crowd noise being an issue for Derek Carr in his home stadium. Like, yeah, that, I mean, was, look, that was awesome. Well, first off I do Vegas fans know how to be football fans. No people in Vegas. Yeah, exactly. But and like go back to the RCA dome or Lucas oil field when Peyton Manning was on the field, like Silence. nobody dared say a word. Pat McAfee tweeted last night when Peyton Manning was on the football field, everybody in Indianapolis stopped making noise. Babies right. stopped crying in Indianapolis when Peyton was on the football field. And then he said like he was getting a kick out of watching Peyton get so pissed at the Raiders fans last night because of that. I mean, they were on the, like the two yard line. I think it was, it was either an overtime or late in the fourth quarter. And you like, you can see Derek Carr, like trying to quiet the fans. Yeah. Like your team's on like the goal line, trying to win this game or trying to send it to overtime. And you, your fans won't shut the F up. Yeah. And how about I, the fact that it goes to overtime and, and literally Peyton and Eli's demeanor was like, can we just end this game? Like I even appreciate you and I have both been in those situations where you've worked all day long. You're, you're covering a night game 
And then like it goes extra time and you're like, yes, like I, I now I'm extending like I, I don't get off for another hour. Like they literally their demeanor. They were so ready for that game to be over. And I had an appreciation for that as well. Peyton just looked exhausted by the end of the game. And, and Eli was at that point getting it looked like really frustrated with every mistake that was made. It was amazing. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, there's look, it obviously playing the game is way harder for four hours, but like bringing energy and talking and like trying to like be interesting for four hours straight. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's mentally exhausting for sure. Yeah. So like, yeah, we definitely relate to that. Yeah. Um, Oh, did you, did, I, I don't know how much of that you caught, but did you catch the part about Eli Manning just burying the whole halftime adjustments? I saw people talk. tweeting about it, but I didn't hear what he was, he said. So at one point he, he starts talking about halftime adjustments and he's like, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but he's like, the media are a bunch of idiots. Like they're always talking about halftime adjustments and what's done. And he goes, here's what happens at halftime. The clock hits zeros. You have to go like through all these tunnels. It's like a 10 minute process to get to your locker room. By the time you get there, you're probably going to go to the bathroom. You get a couple of orange slices. You're waiting on your coaching staff to take the elevators down there. By the time they get down to your level, there's probably about less than two minutes of actual time to have a discussion. So basically they say, hey, you guys did really good in the first half. What about running this play at some point in the second half? And then we're like, yeah, that would be awesome, coach. And then everybody pats each other on the butt and then they have to go back to get on the elevator to go back up to the press box by the time the third quarter starts. We have to make a two-mile walk back to the football field. He's like, and then after the game, reporters are like, what kind of halftime adjustments did you make? And he's like, it's ridiculous. So he just like buries this idea that there's some sort of extravagant halftime adjustment that's made by football teams. And then like multiple times in the second half, he just kind of like took jabs at halftime adjustments. It was, I, I was dying laughing because he, he told the big story and then like, he just kept taking the jabs at halftime adjustments. It was awesome. That's, that's hilarious. Cause you, you know that you could tell that's something that he's been holding on to <laughs> yes, forever. Yes. And like through his entire career, like if, when he was asked that, like that's how he wanted to respond. And now he's retired and he's on a national TV show and he's like, all right, I gotta, I, I gotta say this. Yeah. Just been eating at me for yeah. 10 years. Yeah. It makes sense, though. Like, we've like, yeah, been we in those stadiums. Adjustments. He's like, there's no time. Right. We've been in those stadiums. Like, we've taken the elevators up to, like, the level below or the level above where the coaches are at, like, at Memorial Stadium. And, like, it's a, it's a whole process. process. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. That is. Uh, but yeah, he just, I, I mean, just shit all over halftime adjustments. He's like, it doesn't exist. I forgot that they were doing that broadcast. It was funny because I, I, I'm pretty sure I like brought it up on here to you before because I was excited I think about it. you were it, the one that actually told me about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I forgot it was existed, but I watched the entire fourth quarter in overtime on that broadcast and it was, it was well worth it. And I didn't even get them when they were hot. Like I got them when they were starting to wear yeah. down. Yeah. It was, it was so good, man. So good. I can't, I cannot wait to hear what they say. They probably won't say that much, but I like, I want to hear them talk about Aaron Rodgers next week. Oh, next Absolutely. Week. Absolutely. That's going to be great. Especially following what a miserable performance he had on Sunday. Right. Which against Detroit, he should be fine. He should light them up. But if he sucks again. Yeah. I'm in. Uh, there was the, maybe the, the tweet of the day was from Gil Brandt. I don't know if you saw this last night, but when the Raiders had the ball on the one yard line in overtime, you know, when we thought they had scored the touchdown to win the game and then they end up getting it on the one yard line. Gil Brandt tweeted missed opportunity from Peyton and Eli to ask Russell Wilson what he would run from the one yard line. That is God dang it. That's probably wouldn't be a pick play. Oh, it'd be so good. Actually, Russell would probably run the pick. He'd be like, no, I'll give it to like running that pick nine times out of 10. I'm going to get a touchdown yeah. every time. But 
Yeah, it was fun. I love the comment. Um, I think my favorite comment that I heard was when they were showing the picture of Ciara at the Met Gala Ball, and uh, I, I, somebody said it was a nice ring, and Peyton was like, yeah, I'd love to have that ring, a ring like that. Yeah. She's wearing Russell's Super Bowl ring that he won against Peyton. Like, it looked, like just the little, like, jabs or, like, little comments. Like, yeah, like, it's Did you catch good, what man. Russell said, too? He's like, well, Tom Brady's got one of mine. From, from, that play, from the one-yard yeah. line play, yeah. Right, the pick play, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was Tom good. Brady's got a lot of them. Uh, Eli's the only one that can't relate to that. <laughs> right. Eli's like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. What are you talking about? Also, I'm, I, I don't know that that was actually Eli Manning, or Eli Manning might be a cyborg, because the dude never moved Aaron for four hours. Other than his mouth moving, like, his posture never changed. He sat upright, like... Without he looked a little for four hours, man. I'm sure. Sh- like, I, I text Pop last night. I was like, I'm pretty sure Eli Manning is paralyzed from the neck down. He didn't yeah, move you, for four hours. I, I did notice that. Like, I was watching him, and like, he he looked uncomfortable. I don't know, like, just being on TV or what it is, because he obviously, yeah. like, he hasn't had like the exposure that Peyton has had right. on TV and stuff like that. So hopefully, as the season goes on, he relaxes a little bit. But he still was chiming in with some snarky comments that were funny, and like, like you said, the rant about Perfect. halftime adjustments. Perfect. Like, the head, it's there, but like, he he did seem like super tense from the neck down. Yeah. By the it way, was, it was uncomfortable. I heard a lot of people saying they loved Peyton, weren't like necessarily crazy about having Eli on the broadcast. It works because they're brothers. They're brothers, and like I don't need Eli necessarily leading the thing. Like I think that's why Peyton does what he does because he knows he needs to lead it and be the main voice. But Eli's perfect because first of all, I thought a lot of Eli's analysis was really good. But secondly, like I think Eli number one is is probably going to go some places that Peyton wouldn't. Because right. he's not as, you know, as big as Peyton Manning is. And secondly, I love just the digs. Like, he doesn't have well, to talk the whole time, so he just kind of, like, jumps in with these digs at either Peyton or, like, what's happening on the football field throughout the game. And I thought that was that was cool. Who, it's just a good element to it. Who in the entire world could ESPN hire that is going to challenge Peyton other than his brother? Yeah, nobody. Tom nobody Brady, I guess. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel, yeah, I guess so. But, like... Be, because Eli's his brother, like there's not a fear of like I need to be respectful. Or this is Peyton Manning, like I, I can't disrespect Peyton Manning. Yeah, but Eli and Kelly are brothers. It's a, like it, it absolutely works because, it, like, and if it was just Peyton and a second guest, like in rotating guests, like I don't think it would be as entertaining. It wouldn't. Like I loved Eli just like under his breath disagreeing with yeah. Peyton. Yeah, and making the forehead jokes and yeah. yeah, it was it was awesome. And then at one point, Peyton was making fun of Eli for his 0.0 quarterback rating against the Ravens' his rookie year, <laughs> and like, and they they both have fun with it when they're each made fun of. Like it's it it keeps it really lighthearted while also getting really good analysis. Yeah, and I, they're both freaking dorks. So like, yes. I love seeing them yes. get made fun of and like getting picked yes. on. They're dorks. They're football nerds, and I say that in like the best possible way. Like they are football nerds, and it's for awesome. sure geniuses. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's it's I I will. There's no way that I could watch the Monday Night Football regular broadcast. I do I do like to picture. I, I I was picturing last night in my head like Cooper like in a basement with no lights and just like a 19 inch like tube TV on like a, a milk crate. <laughs> yeah, and just like sitting on the recliner, just staring at the screen like while Eli and Peyton are having fun on TV. When the fire alarm went off, somebody tweeted that that was Cooper burning their chicken nuggets in the oven offset. <laughs> Uh, that's uh, this is gonna be good stuff. 
ESPN finally did something right. Yeah, now let's just hope they don't screw it up. Which they will. Don't try yeah, and add four, Stephen A. Smith week, into yeah. the mix. Yeah, week four, they're going to change up the dynamic because, oh, like, course. oh, we get this is a hit. We need to take over and, like, change some things to really take it to that next level. Yeah. But instead of just letting it breathe. Yeah. It's it, it, just leave it alone. Let it be it's what great. it is. Yeah. yeah. Perfect how it is. And I look, did those, not hear, like, those guys Twitter, were smart like, guys. Everybody. Yeah. Dude, everybody was watching it. Like, yeah. National reporters, like big name, like media people, like former athletes, team, like everybody was watching that broadcast. Like, I don't know if anybody heard Steve Levy call a single play last night. I didn't. Other than me, who forgot about the Manning thing. Yeah. Just leave it alone, ESPN. Do not mess this up. You have solid gold on your hands. Just don't mess it up. Don't get in the way. If they want to talk into breaks, let them talk into breaks. Who who are the guests? So Ray, Ray was on the first quarter. Ray Lewis in the first, or no, is Charles Barkley in the first quarter? They had Charles Barkley on? Yeah. I'm, oh, yeah. God, I'm so upset that I missed oh, that. Oh, yeah, it was good. Uh, Ray Lewis in the second quarter, Travis Kelsey in the third quarter, and then Russ. In the fourth. Overtime. That's good. Oh, I'm so upset that I missed the Charles Barkley. Oh, for an entire quarter? It wasn't an entire quarter, but it was it was a while. And, okay. I mean, you know, they were like, Eli was making fun of Chuck beating Peyton in golf, and, yeah, That's it was good. good. They were making jokes about... Uh, about how much money Chuck had lost over the weekend and he was trying to salvage it. And then like literally he had said that he bet on the Raiders to win. So every time like something was happening, like he was completely slanted toward the Raiders in his comments. Right. And they're like, wait a minute, who did you bet on again, Chuck? It was good. so good, man. Like I, I, I never changed the channel a single time. And I, I was literally while the game was on, unless they went to commercial, I was afraid to even get up and go to the like refrigerator Right, because I thought it was so good, I didn't want to miss anything. Like it, it that's a, it was a home run. Yeah, yeah, it was. For the first time in 15 years, ESPN did something good. Yeah, and it's back next Monday, and they'll probably have Stephen A. hosting it. <laughs> probably so. I know. Uh, Rachel Nichols needs a job. She needs or <laughs> something to do. Yeah. Yeah. Look. If they offered that job to me, I would obviously take it. Well, duh. But uh, just giving my professional opinion, I would be like, hey, you don't need anybody. Like, don't don't add somebody to this mix. Really? Look, if they wanted to throw somebody in there, a host, I would just hope that literally the only thing the host does is get them into commercial breaks. Yeah, that'd be fine. I mean, if you want to do that, I still don't like having... I think you add another voice, and then I think there's going to be a deference from Peyton and Eli to that person in a right, way gonna, where I think it yeah. has an impact on the broadcast. So just leave it alone. I agree. Yeah. I look, yeah, I'm right there with you. I hope they don't, but if they do, which I'm not going to put it past ESPN to do it, just have that, like literally just have them off camera the entire segment, except for when they need to go to break or something. I don't know. It's a weird dynamic too, because Eli and Peyton aren't together. So like, I don't want a bunch of split screens all over the, the TV yeah, no, that, I mean, that's fine. But, like, if they're together, then you're going to have to take up a larger portion of the screen for them to sit side by side. So I don't know that that's sure. necessarily a bad thing, just having them boxed in with their faces. I don't I don't, I don't mind them being, like, boxed in. I just don't want to add more boxes. For sure, for sure. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, I, I think they could probably, like, to take it a step further, just with the Manning part of this, like, leave the cameras on them during breaks, just cut off their mics, go to the break, leave their boxes up. Yeah. And see what kind of crazy shenanigans they're they're up to during the break yeah i'm they they could do as long as they're doing more stuff with eli and peytoning yeah then i'm in 
Yeah. Yeah. More Eli and Peyton not interjecting anything else into the broadcast. That's right. That's the goal. I love I, I also one more thing. I, I just I love the end of the game when Peyton was getting so like he like grabbed the football. Like you could tell that he was just like, ah, like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, Which awesome. it was me. It was awesome. I loved it. I, it stole the show. Like the 100%. game was great, but I, I walked away after that was over more impressed that, with yeah. like the Manning broadcast then the game, which was one of the all-time great Monday night games, like just it was one of the crazy it was. In a while. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so good. What was it, like three turnovers in overtime or something like yeah. that? Yeah. It's wild. How does that even happen? Yeah, so good. All right, my friend. Good stuff. All right. Yeah, it was a... Uh, well, football season's back. We got plenty to talk about football now. Season. Absolutely. He is Mr. Davis. It is Tuesday Davis. So make sure you catch us every Tuesday Davis on the Colby Daniels Podcast. See you later, buddy. Yep. Okay.